Hi, this is Wayne Randazzo of the WCBS Mets Radio Network, and you're listening to Baseball and BBQ. Welcome to episode number 80, the big 8-0 of baseball and BBQ. The BBQ stands for barbecue, and I am here with the New Year's baby, <laughs> all grown up, Jeff Cohen. Not quite Jeff. New Year's baby, but uh, <laughs> Leonard, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Happy New Year to you. I, I can't be more excited Truth be told, we're recording this right before New Year's Eve, but it's coming out day after New Year's Day, and it's episode 80. This is a bonus episode, and this is a big bonus. Yes. Who do we have? Can't get much bigger. Well, I, in my heart, and you know in your heart, we have Howard Johnson, and in our hearts, he is definitely one of those players that we love. Oh, Hojo. Right. Love Hojo. Yeah, we do. We love Hojo. Okay, so at, the great thing about this interview that you guys are going to love is nobody knows Howard Johnson as a pit master, as a barbecue lover, okay? Well, I don't know that he's a pit master, but he certainly wants to be one. And the funny thing is we have him on to talk all about baseball, and all he wants to talk about is barbecue, he is very enthusiastic <laughs> talking about both. Yes, he really is. He he really is. And he told us if when he when he has us over, we, we we're not going to spoil it. But he told us what food he would prepare for us if he had us over. We're we're gonna have to <laughs> gonna have to knock at his door one day. Exactly. Before I forget, I want to just make sure that everybody. I know the holidays are over, but if you have anyone that you you forgot to get a gift for. Go to BaseballBBQ.com for the grilling tools and accessories and FifthAndCherry.com for cutting boards. Those are two great companies. Just because the holidays are over, you know, now it could be birthdays, anniversaries, whatever it is. And Jeff, before we get to Hojo, you and I took a very special road trip. Yes, we did. We, uh, as you know, we live in New York. We took a little road trip up to Westchester County, and we went to the gravesite of two legends, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Now they're not in the same cemetery, but they're very, very close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very. They're yeah, right, right across from each other, basically. Exactly. And, and we, we went there. We took some uh, video of it, so you can go mm -hmm. to our YouTube page, 
and, and check out those videos of our visit to Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Yeah, we don't put a lot up on our YouTube page, but when we do put something up, I, I, think, it's, I think it's good. You know, you'll, you'll enjoy it. It was snowy, right? It, just, it was just after that major storm that we had. Right. It stop us. It, it, it didn't make it too easy to find their graves. Right. <laughs> but but we, did, we did find them, although we did end up... We did end up in the wrong cemetery at one point, but we found them. We found them, yes. And then it uh, turns out that in in those cemeteries, you've got some other. You've you've got Billy Martin, right? Is, uh, also there, and former uh, uh, Yankee owner uh, Murdoch, right? Is 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 there? It's real. I mean, at the at Babe Ruth's grave, especially. Yeah, um, you were unearthing because they were covered with snow. There, there had to be a hundred balls there. There, were, there had to be messages yeah. on those balls, other memorabilia, people really. There was, uh, letter, there was a letter from that nine-year-old boy who lives in uh, Illinois, right? That was there, and he was. Now, that's how you know that these players are just basically immortals in baseball. Right. A nine-year-old boy writes a letter to Babe Ruth. And tells about the pandemic that we're going through and how he's so disappointed uh, in his letter. He says there was no opening day. They may not have baseball. He's nine years old. Right. And yet he knows Babe Ruth. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. So, what? Jeff, let's go right to Hojo. Absolutely. We are honored to have on Baseball and BBQ a two-time All-Star, three-time Top 10 MVP candidate, two-time Silver Slugger Award winner, Two-time world champion, three-time member of the 30-30 club, and has played for four major league clubs, but is best known being a member of our favorite team, the New York Mets. We hear he's a heck of a grill master and a 1986 rib-eating champion. Welcome to Baseball BBQ, Howard Johnson, affectionately known as Hojo. Howard, thanks for joining us. Welcome, Hojo. Thanks for having me. Appreciate y'all having me on. Hojo, a quick story first before we get started. Uh, We found out that you were a, a grill master. We have a friend who was in the barbecue sauce business. His name is Ray Sheehan. Okay. He was in a, a, a butcher shop one day, and he runs into a, a friend of yours, and he says, oh, you know, my friend Howard Johnson is a grill master, and that friend happened to be Bobby, Bobby Ojeda. No so, way. Yeah, so that's how we found out you were a big barbecuer. Bobby O's my man. He and I are tight. <laughs> we've, been, we've been friends for a long, long time. Yeah. Well, the, the, the funny thing is, Hojo, is really we have you on for your barbecue knowledge, and it just happens you played a little baseball. Is yeah, really, I got a lot more knowledge playing baseball than I do barbecue. Trust me. <laughs> I'm a novice. I'm a, I'm a novice barbecuer. Although I've, I've been, I give, I've been at it for a few years now, and I got a few recipes that are down pat. So I'm, 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 I'm pretty happy about a few things. Well, we, we, we will definitely get to barbecue. I think though, Jeff's going to start us off. Let's go, Jeff. Okay. We've got Hojo. And, yes. Uh, if we could be fans for just one moment, and I know <laughs> you have to act like you've been there, right? They say, act like you've been there. <laughs> but being big fans of the Mets, we are thrilled to have you on. I just have yes. to tell you that. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure for me, too. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. I, I can tell you that in 1984, I was 22 years old, and I was an intern working with Jay Horowitz in the, in the public relations department. Wow. It was only a one-year thing. But the assistant assistant PR director, Dennis D'Agostino, I'm sure you know, oh, yeah. he kept saying, you know, the Mets are going to get Hojo. He, they really love Hojo. And the following season, they got you. 
He spent three years in Detroit playing for Sparky Anderson. How was how playing for Sparky? Well, playing for Sparky was, uh, was a challenge at times. He wasn't necessarily, necessarily the, the most patient guy with young players, but I did learn a lot from the man and the coaches there. We had a heck of a team while winning the championship in 84, and I uh, had a lot of really solid teammates that I learned a lot from and, and really, really enjoy hanging out that year, those years with them. And guys like Trammell and Gibson and you know, just, just spending time watching them prepare every day really helped me when I got to New York. Now, Hojo, you're from Florida. So yes. the Yankees draft you before Detroit drafts you. Yes. But being from Florida, were the Yankees such a big deal to you then that you were drafted by them? No, not like, not like you know, the whole New York baseball scene, I guess. Really didn't impact me much down there. I, I was – the Phillies had spring training – in Clearwater. So I, I spent a little time watching the Phillies, you know, spring train and watch their games. And I'd see teams come in and, you know, I, I listened to Harry Callis on the radio, Phillies games, the Braves were on TV, maybe like once a week. So I got to, got to watch them a little bit. And of course you had the Cubs with, in WGN that was on all the time too. So yeah, I'd say more of my baseball upbringing was more nationally leaning and you know, the New, York, the New York baseball teams at that time were good, obviously, with the Yankees. The Mets, had, Mets were pretty good. When I was a really young kid, I used to, used to like Oakland. And mm. that was just about the time they were winning all those championships. I loved the uniform and Reggie Jackson and all the guys that they had at that time. And I just remember them beating the Mets. And, you know, coming home from school early to get to watch an afternoon World Series game was the best. And I remember, remember watching them play the Mets and, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird that I ended up passing up on the Yankees going, you know, I ended up going to the Detroit Tigers. So when you, were, when you were a kid and you were, you know, as we all did, you had a player and you would practice that batting stance. Yeah. Who, who was the player whose stance you would pretend wow. you were? Well, I was a – although I liked Oakland, I liked all of baseball, period. But I used to, like, watch Rod Carew hit. You know, he always had that stance where his hands were – real loose and the bat was kind of like flat and you know the guy could flat out hit and I used to watch Pete Rose I used to watch I used to watch all those guys back in the day whoever really whoever was on television I would watch not like today where you got like you know during a season you've got every single game on you know your disposal back then it was one one game week usually the Saturday game of the week Tony Kubek and Joe Gradiola that was all we had and then Mm -hmm. occasionally have a Braves game for us and of course, the Phillies were on the radio, so you know you get to see see as many many, uh, many different guys as you do now. You you were traded to the Mets in '85 for the '85 season. Did you know how much they wanted you, and were you excited to come to New York? I was. Well, I got the call from Bill LaJoy, who was the general manager with the Tigers, and he said, "Oh, Joe, we we had to trade you." And this is the last day of the winter meetings. I was down in Florida, and I remember I woke up as early Sunday morning and. He said, we traded you last night. And I said, oh, I said, okay. Well, he didn't want to do it, he said, but Sparky, they were looking for starting pitching. The Mets Mets had a little bit of it. so, And the Mets were looking for a guy that could play third base, possibly be their everyday guy. And so it was kind of a natural fit. And I, I appreciated, you know, the honesty from my, my general manager. And then my next phone call was from Jay Horwitz. So when I found out, you know, I was with the Mets, I was extremely excited because I'd met 
met Davey Johnson before. Kind of like I said, the National League was kind of a, you know, where my attention was drawn most. And so I was looking forward to the, to the opportunity. The Mets were going to, they were in the process of trading Yubi Brooks, of course, yeah. to get Gary Carter. So it all made sense. You come to play third base. Of course, the Mets had Ray Knight. So I guess you platooned with Ray. Yeah. Yeah, when I, got, when I came over, yeah, Davey, it was, it was a straight platoon, Ray and myself, and, you know, Davey found ways to use me in different ways, and it was awesome because he kind of used all of my abilities, things I could do to help the team, and that year we had a really strong ball club and we got Carter, and, and so, you know, a lot of things happened, you know, for, in our favor, and we almost won it. Oh, you were in it every year from 84, actually, through – 89 or so. I know you were on that 92 team, the best, the worst team money can buy. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But 85, 86, uh, I mean, you quickly became a fan favorite. I mean, you are, you are top 10 Mets categories even to this day. That's fantastic. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I, uh, yeah, I played nine years, ended up playing nine years for them and put up some numbers. I had, had a, what I like to say, I had a good five-year career in there. So I had a five-year span where I was pretty good and Three of those years were really good, and the fans are they're, they're an integral part of, of what you know how you prepare to play in New York City. You know you can't run from them. You gotta you gotta appreciate them, and they all they want is guys to play hard. And so I learned that early. And if you acknowledge them and you play hard and you give give everything you have, then they'll appreciate it whether you win or lose. But you know they're very knowledgeable. They're, they they bring a they bring an bring an edge to the game that you have to learn how to play with. And that's why some guys don't like playing there, but you just kind of, you learn how to deal with it. And pretty soon it's just become something that you're accustomed to and you, and you really look forward to. It's amazing because, you know, we, preparing for this interview, I just happened to mention to someone, you know, I, I thought that they were a Met fan. I said, you know, they said, but they used to be. And I said, oh, cause we're interviewing Hojo. And he <laughs> said, Hojo. Oh yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me how, you just, it, it, I know that it's that era of Mets, yep. New York loves, but there are a few Mets, you, Keith, Gary, Yubi, Mookie, that just are loved in New York. I mean, if you were to run for mayor today, <laughs> you'd probably win. Well, no, you would win because I don't <laughs> think they love the mayor. But, <laughs> you know, you might be a little different up there if I was the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how was it playing behind uh, those, those days when Doc Goodman and Ryan Darling were on the mound? Oh, it was, it was awesome, especially when, Do- when Doc was on the mound because he was so dominant that when you were playing the field, it was almost like a day off. You know, you didn't get much action. Uh, Dave used to play me at short a lot in uh, 86. And uh, that was because Dwight was a fly ball, strikeout type pitcher. Same with Sid Fernandez. So there was never a lot of action. You know, you get a few D games where you had some. But for the most part, you know, watching Dwight pitch from, from there was, was a treat because you could see guys actually just get humiliated at the plate. And Doc was just – for that period he was there, there was none better. And if I had to pick – there's two guys that – if I had to pick two guys to win a game or they were going to kill me, it would uh-huh. be uh, Dwight Gooden and Jack Morris. Those two guys are probably the best competitors I've ever seen. Right. Now, you were actually drafted as a pitcher. Yeah, pitcher, pitcher slash outfielder. And that didn't play either for the, for the Tigers. 
I've, I got the chance to go to spring training in 1979 and made, made our team in Lakeland, which is high A. I made the club and started out at shortstop. I was there about three weeks. And then they, they shifted me to third base. And my manager back in those days, Fred Hatfield, who passed away a few years ago, he used to tell me all the time, he'd go, he'd go Hojo, you're – so you or Marty Castillo, you guys, one of you two is going to be the next third baseman of the Detroit Tigers. And I'm like, oh, I appreciate that, Fred. You know, I'm working hard at it, trying, trying to make it happen. I think back then, even though when, you're, when I was young, I didn't really see, you know, how I was going to develop. Somebody did. Somebody saw it and believed in it. And I was grateful that the Tigers kept me around and gave me an opportunity. You know, you know, you're only three hits away from 1,000 from Big Ron and Mets. You're 10th uh-huh. hit for 997. Like, oh. <laughs> well, that's too bad. I wish I could have got the 1,000 with that. That would have been nice, yes. Let's talk about a little about the World Series. Eight more homers from 200. That's true, yes. That's right, too. 192, exactly. 86, you win the World Series, obviously, but you're down 0-2, and you, you talked about your friend Bobby Ojeda yep. in game three. He pitched a hell of a game, and, uh, you know, tell us about how that came about, that game. Well, we had just come off uh, – a real grueling emotional uh, series against Houston where, where they were, they were tough, you know, and we, we knew that going in, we didn't take them lightly and we were able to come back and win kind of improbable. Didn't have to face Mike Scott in game seven, figured out a way to, to win game six. And so that took a lot out of us and going into, going into the world series. I think uh, we were just like, we just had a hard time getting, getting reaching that emotional level that we needed to be at for the Red Sox, and they, they took it to us early. I remember we, went, we were in the tunnel leaving. When the game was over, this game two was over, we lost. And we were in the tunnel, we were walking in, and the guys were all just kind of lined up, and we are just shaking hands like, hey, let's go. This is what we want. We want to go up there. We want to, win. We want to be, come back here and play, and we're going to win this thing. And so everybody was kind of unified at that point and recharged emotionally and very ready to go to Boston and take on the Red Sox and try to win two. And you did, and, and Bob pitched a hell of a game three. Yeah, Bob, Bobby, Bobby's a competitor, man. You give him an opportunity to, to close a team out, he's going to do it. Yeah. Hojo, just you win the World Series. I mean, I'm, of course, skipping a lot of stuff. We skip around a lot. But yeah. you're riding down the Canyon of Heroes. Describe that feeling. What, what is that like? <laughs> All I can think about was in watching uh, the Mets when, uh, when they won the World Series in 69 and they kept showing the, the video of the guys coming down the Canyon of Heroes and all you can see is confetti and paper and just all whatever balloons everything was in the, in the air it was just a sea of white paper something you just don't forget you know you picture it in your mind it's in there forever and that, that's what it looked like it just was just amazing to see it and then so many fans you know, the whole city's out there basically at that point. They're, they're, they're happy for you. They're celebrating. And uh, you're just happy to be a part of it. You know, you just you connect with the fans again, and you're celebrating the ultimate, ultimate goal, which is the winning the World Series. And we won it such a crazy way. And just it was a remarkable season all the way through. And to finish it up like that was, uh, was awesome. And then that parade was just uh, the icing on the cake. Besides Bobby, are you still in touch with some of the guys? Yeah, I see Daryl. I see Daryl quite a bit. I talked to Straw. He's a pastor now and right. turned his life around, which is awesome. I, I've seen Dwight a couple of times. Occasionally, I'll I'll text Tim Tuffle or Wally Backman. Mm-hmm. Um, Dykes right here from every now and then. But uh, yeah, guys, 
you know, we seem to kind of, kind of renew each other, you know, during the year. Um, not as much this year because of the, the virus stuff, but in the years past, we always seem to kind of connect. Yeah, Beckman is the he's the manager of our local uh, independent team out here, the Long Island Ducks. Uh, yeah, the Ducks. Yes. Yep. yep. We also had uh, Ed Hearn on the show not too uh, long ago, and he was telling us about about his experience going down to Canyon Heroes. Yeah, I bet it was. I bet he enjoyed that. He did. <laughs> We've actually had. It's funny. We've had a lot of catchers. We had Ed Hearn, Todd Pratt, Barry Lyons. We seem to have a, a lot of Met catchers on the show. So they're supposed to be the smartest ones on the field. That's what that's what the word is, right? Right. <laughs> Except so, for the third baseman. The third baseman yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, that's right. Thank you very much, Leonard. You're welcome. Oh, Joe, I read something in, in a bio that when you were a kid, you would go to eat at Howard Johnson's. Yeah, that's and, right. And you would, get a, you would get a free meal. Yep, yep. Right? Because yep. of your name. So I, I, I made a joke today. I told someone, I said, uh, I said, it's too bad I didn't name my kids Peter Lugers or... Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> now you're talking. Now you're talking. I was in New York. I was in New York about a month ago, a month and a half ago, and happened to go, get to go to Peter Luger for dinner before we left, and it was as good as I remember it. So good. Speaking <laughs> of, and, and like I said, we bounce around a lot, but I saw something else that you... A, a ribeye is one of your uh, specialties yeah. that, you, yes. that you grill. Yeah, I love love ribeye. That's my favorite favorite meat to cook. My favorite steak, and you probably eat one of those every day if I if I had it in front of me. Yes, we're gonna talk barbecue at the end. Uh, that was a little tease. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. Two more, more questions on the uh, '80s Mets. '87 uh, obviously was a down year, a lot of injuries, but you come back strong in '88, make a run for it in the playoffs. And I was at that game where the, Mike Schultz hit the home run. It just yep. So, you know, that we, I thought that might have been a better team than 86. I mean, you had a, such a great team. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely make the case. Our pitching was much deeper deeper that year. We should have won in 88. We, we played a Dodger team that we had beaten uh, every game that year but one. Right. 11-1 or 12-1 and one or something like that, or I don't know. We I forgot how many times we played them, but lost one game all year. And, you know, we, we felt good going into the series – you know, we just ran into Hershiser basically, and you know he he was kind of the the guy for them that year, and he took it right through us, right in, right through Oakland, and won won the series. And then we had that we had opportunities to win, and things that never happened to us all year or against them at all were happening. You know, uh, mm-hmm. OSHA, T Bone, Shelby, guy, guys that were hitting homers that had not done so against pitchers that never gave them up. So. It was just one of those things where we ran into a buzzsaw and no matter what happens, when, when that happens, you just, it's hard to change the momentum of something like that when it's happening to you. But we gave it our best shot. We just couldn't, couldn't get over the hump. Yeah. And then the dark days come, I mean, 90s and 91 and, you know, Davies let go, Buddy Harrison's let go. You have Jeff Torborg who, who played you in center field. I, I, I was looking at your stats there. You played every position but pitcher and catcher. Yeah, I remember when uh, when Torbor got the job and he called me and he talked to me about going to center field and playing center field and I thought, okay, I'll I'll do it. You know, it was it was a challenge. I always loved challenges. It was later in my career. I was coming off a big season and I thought I'll I'll do it. I'll be more than happy to do, give it a shot. And so I spent I spent that whole year really working hard on my outfield and I think I think it made it maybe taking a toll on me offensively. 
it's hard to say, but I just had so much concentration on, on playing a good center field. And physically, I think it took a little bit too much out of me, more, more than I expected. You know, Shea's a big outfield. He's got big gaps, deep center field. Balls hang up there a lot, so you got to cover a lot of ground. I, I enjoyed it, but I just felt like if I, if I was going to do that, make that switch, I think, if, again, I think I should have done it earlier in my career when I was younger. Mm-hmm. More physically, I probably could have done it, but it was starting to take its toll on me physically, and I just could never, never get over the hump physically to do it. And then uh, eventually from center field, I went, I think I went back to, went to left field or back to third base. Anyway, it was just, I was out there for a bit and then uh, they, they pulled the plug on it. Right. Yeah. It seemed a little strange because you were at third and, and you were getting a little older and your legs were starting to, you know, go a little bit and then to put you in center that is that is definitely an odd move. I mean, I'm not going to doubt, you know, Jeff Torborg. He knows more than I'll ever know. But it just seems a little strange that you would play a position like that. At yeah, the- I played, yeah, I hadn't played outfield in a while. And, well, at the end of 91, I played the last month of the season uh, in right field. So I, I was already kind of heading towards the outfield a little bit. And so to, to go to center, I think at that point, it was a challenge that I was willing to take. It was going to help our team, supposedly, and the makeup of the team, what he was looking at, and I felt like it was it was okay to go for it. You know, I never wanted to say, no, I'm not going to do something, you know, that's going to help our ball club. So, you know, I, I, I like Jeff, and I, I thought we talked about it. So it wasn't anything that, you know, I didn't agree with. I, I totally was on board with it. Now, being a 30-30 guy, you know, that a remarkable feat. You did it three times. The stolen base, and now that you're a coach, right, you've done a lot of coaching. Home runs, of course, now are are everybody's hitting home runs. Yeah. But stolen bases, 30 30 stolen bases in a season now is, like, unheard of, it seems. Yeah, yeah. What what is it about the stolen base that's – I guess because everybody wants to hit a home run, so they don't want to take a chance of an out. I mean, stolen bases is a lost art now. Yeah, analytics kind of like killed it. I think they killed the walk and they killed the strikeout and they killed the stolen bases. But the way I look at it is even though the numbers are, are what they are and the way they, the way they explain things in analytical stuff, in analytical terms nowadays, the game is still the same. You still got to score more runs than the other guy. For me, you're no, nothing can beat pitching and defense. And if you could put pressure on, your, on the other team's defense with speed, then you can create runs when maybe the bet they're good pitching is on the mound and you're not, you're not, they're not just going to give up home runs. You know, good pitching always beats good hitting. That's kind of like the, the rule of thumb. And sometimes you got to get creative. If you go up there, just keep trying to go for that pump all the time. And next thing you know, you've got as a team, you've got like 12, 15 strikeouts and you got one run, you know, somehow I don't, it's just, to me, it seems more, it's more baseball when it's you got guys involved where there's pressure. Pitchers got to worry about a guy stealing a bag. Defenders got to worry about you running. Defenders got to worry about making a good throw, bad throw, or a walk with a guy that can run a little bit. You know, that's a walk, but that could turn into a triple. Certainly, it could turn into a double. And you open up lanes in the infield when, uh, you know, it eliminates a lot of shifts when guys are on base, when they're, when they're able to steal. So there's to me it's still there's it's a big part of the game that's not being tapped. 
And somehow it's just gotten brushed aside as not as irrelevant. And I don't think it's that way. I just don't understand. I'm just not getting the reasoning behind it, why it's <laughs> not important. I still think it's a, it's a lost art that can be taught. And I think if you ask posing players on, on defense, would they rather have a guy out there swinging for the fences all or nothing or a guy that can put the ball in play, run, maybe steal second, third base, you know, put pressure on you defensively? They'd much rather have that guy up there trying to swing for the fences because he can be pitched to. Mm-hmm. But once you create an opportunity to score with your legs, then, you know, you, you've, done, you've done something. You've beaten that team without having to be a really, really good hitter. Right. You created right. an opportunity. As a coach, you mentioned the shift in analytics. As a hitting coach, it can't be just easy to say, just hit the ball the other way. I'm sure, I mean, from a fan's point of view, hit it very nobody's there, but it just can't be that easy. I'm sure it's got to be. Yeah, it's really, not. it's really not, Jeff. It's, I wish it was easy. I mean, if we're going to say, yeah, just hit the ball over there, then, then we should just say, well, just hit the ball in that gap where there's nobody standing. Right. And you'll get a double on every time you swing the bat. But you can't do it like that because the pitcher's got the ball. He's not going to allow you to do certain things. They want you to do certain things. You know, do I want Aaron Judge dropping a bunt down because they're giving it to him? Or do I want him swinging, you know, trying to hit the ball over the shift? Right. So it depends on what kind of, what kind of makeup your team has. You know, and for me, speed kind of eliminates a lot of the shifts. It eliminates some of that stuff. You, can, you have to honor – another facet of the game when you have speed in your lineup. And that's something like Houston has been really good at. Okay. Whether they cheated or not, they still had guys that could get on base and run and and create opportunities for easy RBIs. And you can score a run with a ground ball. Just it counts the same as hitting one out. Right. And uh, to talk about hitting one out, does it really matter how, if it goes 450 or 500 feet, as long as it goes over the fence, it's, it's a home run. Listen, Jeff, when I, was, when I was playing, I was probably one of the smaller guys that, that could hit the ball out of the ballpark, you know. And I used to tell I, – I never wanted to hit in the big group. Like BP, there's always four groups, right? So you get your first group, usually the starting pitcher and, you know, a couple of the extra men. And then the second group, you know, maybe another group of extra men. You know, the third group, you've got your, you know, middle infielders, your base hit guys. Then your last group's always the big bangers, right? The guys that are hitting the ball nine miles in BP. I never wanted to hit in those big groups because I, I, didn't, want to, I didn't want to be in that mindset when the game started. I was at my best when, when I was thinking just getting a base hit or you know, hitting the ball hard the other way or hitting the ball hard up the middle. If I was trying to hit the ball on BP, then I was going to be an out that day. So mm-hmm. I, didn't, I never wanted that to be something that I saw that I wanted to try to match I was just very content to hit with uh, with Lenny and Wally and the other guys. Hojo, back back when you were hitting all these home runs, there were a couple of managers that liked to try and get in your head. I think oh, that's yeah. what they were trying to do, right? Accusing yeah. you of using a cork bat. A few times yeah. that happened, they checked, they x-rayed, and every time it was negative. So what is that as a, you as a player – does that make you play with a chip? Do you? Did it piss you off? I mean, what? Well, what's your reaction? I, think the, I think in the beginning, I think you you think that that's disrespectful. But at the same time, 
it's part of the game. I mean, there's guys that, that, that cheat offensively and defensively. I mean, pitchers cheat all the time. We saw in the Astros back in the, you know, the 80, 86 season, you know, they had guys busted all the time with sandpaper and stuff on, on them. You know, Joe Necro got busted. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bunch of guys that got busted. We had ball. We had Mike Scott. We had balls in our dugout. We had a, we had a bucket of balls from the, ga- from the game that Mike Scott pitched at Shea. And they were all scuffed in the same spot. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, I mean, it was so obvious. And so for a long time, you know, guys did what they could do. You know, you got, did what you get away with. So that was still the mentality back then. So a lot, a lot of managers, what they would do is they would, you know, check you and, you know, they'd take my bat out of the game and they'd send it off to New York and get it X-rayed. And, and then I'd get it back the next day, you know? So that's kind of what they did. And we had fun with it. Dave used to ask me, like, who do you want, whose bat do you want to take from their side? So I'd always just say, get Will Clark's bat, you know, or get get Kevin Mitchell, my buddy, you know, get his bat. Let's get Ryan Sandberg, get his bat, Andre Dawson, you know, all those guys. So you just kind of had fun with it. It was just one of those things where, you know, they're trying to rally you, but, you know, you can be me- much more mentally strong than that. Yeah, Hojo, before we get to the barbecue portion, I, I'm, we're starting to read this book by uh, David Wright, and he yeah. is – Glowingly talking about how you one of his heroes, you know, his mentor. You know, tell us about your relationship with David Wright. Man, I, I wish I could see this book. I haven't seen it yet. You know, David's like a son. You know, I, I have nothing but great things to say about that kid. I mean, I had him when he started out, and his agent, one of his agents, is Keith Miller, who's an ex teammate of mine. And Mills and I were always good, really good friends. We'd eat ice cream together after games and stuff and play cards and whatever. And so, um, he, he called me one time, it was during Instruction League back in, back in the uh, early 2000s. And he said, uh, Mills, he said, uh, hey, did you see that third baseman you guys got? I go, yeah, David Wright. I said, yeah, he's, he looks, looks pretty good. He goes, does he remind you of anybody? I said, I said why, who should he remind me of? And he said, he's you. <laughs> he said, David Wright is basically you. And I said, I said, wow. I said, okay. So then I really started watching the kid and fell in love with him, you know, his attitude and everything. And man, there's just the, I can still picture my mind, you know, watching him out there. And, and so I was fortunate enough and I want to say I was very fortunate to have him, you know, at every level, watched him develop and he trusted me. And, you know, we, we, we shared a lot of things over the years and to see him, you know, achieve what he's been able to accomplish is, is unbelievable for me. I mean, I'm, I'm super proud of the guy and, you know, he's a great person, individual, big heart, wants nothing but the best and he wants to win really bad. So I know, I know he's got a lot of good things going for him. Yeah. In the, in the book, he's, he's talking about going through the minor leagues and you're his mentor is, is just so much pride. I'm sure you have for him. It's I do. So I really do. Yep. It's so funny that you mentioned Keith Miller because my bowling partner, he's a big Met fan. He went yeah. to Lewis high school. And I said to him, we're, we're introduced, we're interviewing Hojo tomorrow night. And he was like, Hojo, that's great. He's, and, and he started to tell me, first of all, he said, he said, I, I grew a mustache just like him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, nice. <laughs> and and, and he, then he told me about how Keith Miller had moved across the street from him. One day comes with like a, a truck with all this Mets stuff. And, and uh, he sees him and he said something. And, and he said, where'd you get all the Mets stuff or whatever? He says, oh, I play for them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I know. He didn't look like a ball player, does he? <laughs> it's such a, it's a small world, you know? Yeah. It's a small world. It is a small world. Millsy's a great guy, though. Yeah. 
Great, dude. Love Millsy. So how, how did you look at the barbecue? How did you get into uh, all this grilling? Well, let's see. I, I bought my first, well, my only smoker. I bought a green egg, big green egg. I bought it about six years ago and started using it. Didn't know anything about it. You know, didn't know anything really about YouTube researching recipes or anything. And I had some people that I knew, some guys that I knew with the, with the Seattle Mariners. I was coaching, coaching in that organization at the time. And Alvin Davis is one of the guys over there. We, we've known each other a long, long time as well. And he's a big barbecue guy. And he used to share, with, share recipes with me. And he talked about it so much, you know, and i just like, man, that sounds so much fun. So I thought, I'm going to get one and I'm going to start learning. I'm going to teach myself how to use it and just try to research it and, and talk to people as much as I could. I used to go, I used to go down to Florida and do uh, Tigers fantasy camp. In January, and then during that same period of time in January, they had this big, big thing called Pig Fest, and it was out there in the in the parking lot of the stadium, and there was hundreds of tents, you know, and they're barbecuing, and they're 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 having a competition, and so the guys just I would just ask them, you know, I'd just say, hey, how do you how do you do your brisket? You know, what do you how do you prepare your 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 ribs? You know, what do you do? How do you do all that stuff? And they would show me and they would teach me and they would show me, uh, you know, website to go to or, you know, watch this guy or listen to this guy. Go, go talk to that guy down there. And, I, and they were so friendly. And I first thing it hits you with, with barbecue, it's such a tight community. And the people that are that are in the barbecue community are so friendly and they're so outgoing and they want to share everything that they have with you. It's not like they want to hold it and hide it. You know, it's a, they want to share. I've got recipes here from, from friends of mine that are big time, like competition barbecue guys, you know, like you guys. And they send me recipes and they give me recipes. And I'm like, look at them. I go, wow, it's really awesome. You know, and I tell them what I do and I tell them, you know, how I prepare this or how I prepare that or the breakthrough I had when I was doing my first brisket. And, you know, it took me a few times to figure it out. And, and so, yeah, it just, over the years, you just accumulate knowledge and you, you know, you get friends and, you know, it just becomes a, a thing to do. Well, it's funny because we have, we had on Doug Shiding, who, super nice guy. He, he won the, uh, you know, there's like major barbecue competition. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he won the Houston rodeo and uh, okay. I always tell people not, not as he didn't, he didn't ride, he didn't ride the rodeo. <laughs> <laughs> And so he uh, he represents Traeger and he represents uh, oh, country. Head country, head country. And when we told, and he's a big Chicago Cubs fan. And when okay. we told him that you were coming on and that you made a really good brisket, he said, yes. "Find out a secret." Now this is, this is <laughs> you know a pitmaster. And he and what's your secret? So wow. what's your secret to a great brisket? My secret to a great brisket, what, what got me over the hump with a brisket is I started injecting it. And I never did before in the beginning when I did a brisket. Like we cooked briskets in the, in the oven and stuff, and we'd never, we didn't do that. And so I learned, I learned about injection, and I thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inject this thing like crazy. I'm going to mix up my broth. Okay, I got my ingredients. Just do some things together. My wife makes a beautiful brisket for, for the holidays in the oven. She uses uh, Lipton onion soup mix mm-hmm. as a base. And so I use that as my base when I do my briskets. And I use that with some, uh, some beef broth and stuff. And I 
inject my brisket as much as I possibly can. And I try to, then I cook it and I take it off and I'll wrap it and I'll put some more stuff in there, more liquid in there. And then I, then I just stick it back on there and I got to wait for it to get the temperature. Nice. And it, and it turns out beautiful. And the other part that I learned that really like took one brisket I made, it was good. It made it great was resting it and learning how to rest it for more than two hours. I, I rested one. I, I put it, took it off. It was wrapped up. I took, took the moisture out and we wrapped it up in foil, put it around my, my towels. I wrapped it up good, put it in a cooler. That thing was like a baby in there. And I kept it in there for, for about almost three hours and took it out and it was still smoking hot. And by then everything had broken down so good. And so by, by me injecting it and giving it those three hours of rest time, that's what, that's what did it. That's what put it over the top. Yeah. A Yeti cooler, I think, is, uh, is supposed to be really good for that. Ooh, that's nice. I got to get it. I don't have a Yeti. I don't have a Yeti. I got a cheap one. I got a couple of cheap ones I use. They, they smell them up with, with barbecue. <laughs> that, and what else? Okay, so, so brisket, ribeye. Yeah. All right. When we come over to your house for dinner, when Jeff and yeah. I make our trip to Nashville, what are you making for us? If you're not, if you're at a ribeye, you're at I'm a brisket. I'm making you baby backs. Nice. Pork nice. one ribs, baby. I'm going to make them up for you. So what I do is I, with those, I, again, it's all about taking them off, off the fire early. So they're on about an hour and a half. And then I take them off and, and wrap them, put them back on, let them, let them get hot again. They stay on for another hour and a half or so. I don't even baste them at that point. Then I take them off, okay? They're pretty much cooked at that point, but this, this now is where I'm going to start seasoning the meat a little bit. So I'll put a baste on there. I'll put some barbecue sauce on there. But what I like to do is I like to take butter and brown sugar honey. So I took, put a lot of butter on it, sm- smother that sucker in, but- in butter, in the foil, and then honey, honey glaze all over it, and then a bunch of brown sugar. Wrap it up, stick it back on there for about a half hour, let it caramelize in, into the meat. Then I can take it off, and basically it's ready to go at that point. I can put some sauce on it and go for it. That's so, great. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm, the, the brown sugar is the big one. Yeah, sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And they taste, they taste, like, taste like candy. Uh-huh. So so, do you participate in any uh, competition? Do you, do you want to do that? No, I've never, I've never done that, but I think it'd be fun to try. I mean, I – it depends on how many, how much I have to cook of something, you know, like I've seen, I've seen a lot of those competitions where they've got a lot of meat out, you know? Yeah. And that's something that I'm not really accustomed to that is like, you know, having a, having a big slab of something out there or, you know, just, I don't really, I don't really know how to manage all that, all a lot of meat. I can just do my, my section. You know, I can do a brisket. I can do my ribs. I can do some pork, you know, some Italian sausage, pork sausage. I can do some of that stuff along with that, but you know, to have like a whole lineup stuff, I don't know. It's, that's a new thing for me. I, I gotta tell you, you, you said something about the barbecue community and Len and I have been to a couple of competitions and you are absolutely right. These people are the nicest people, even though they're in competitions, they want to share things with you. You're out of a sauce or out of a rub. Oh, come here. I'll give you this. You know, they just want, they're just so nice and, and want to share their knowledge with everybody. That's yeah. true. It's the best. I mean, I, I'll, that, that's part of, that's what drew me in also is just the way people talk about their barbecue is so personal, you know, 
and they're willing to share it. They're willing to share their, their secrets. Uh, you know, Traeger is a great grill. I know a lot of a lot of my friends have Traeger grills. They love those things. You know, I've just I've had my green egg. I was gonna build my own barbecue. I was gonna just try to like make it out of drums. You know, I I just I passed on that. I decided I'm just gonna go and you know splurge for the for the green egg and and go for there. But yeah, I mean, I I just love the fact that everybody's got their way of doing things, and I try to pick up on little stuff for everybody. You know, so if there's something you guys want to tell me. <laughs> if you guys do, I would love to hear it because I want to try it. Oh boy, I, you know, I, I wasn't. Pro- I would I would defer to Len because he's the more of the barbecue expert than I am. Okay. So I would defer to him. All right, you know, you know what, Hojo? I actually wanted to. I, I wanted to bring on like a, a pitmaster and surprise you. And oh man, another time. I think I think that's what we'll do. We'll we'll ask Let's you back that. on. And we'll do yeah, that. I would love that. I would yeah. love that. You know, what, what I love, people say baseball and barbecue, and, and it's unique, but like we had on Greg Luzinski. Yeah. So, and you know, he's a huge Bull. barbecue yep. guy, right? Bulls Barbecue yep. at Citizens Bank Park. It just goes together. It's like a Reese's, you know? It's, yeah. it's it does. The it does. And, and, and it's, it's amazing. What's really funny is we'll have people on from the world of barbecue. Yeah. Um, you know, a guy like we, we had a guy, Meathead, who, who's a huge barbecue guy. He's got a, a website, amazingribs.com. Ooh. If you want to, oh, if you want to lose yourself. Yeah, you'll lose yourself like, there. Amazingribs.com. Okay. Check it out. Amazingribs.com, okay. Yeah, he came on, and I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, we're, I had no idea he wanted to talk baseball. He starts off with baseball. I mean, that's what he wants to talk about. So it's just, it's so funny that, you know, it, People, oh, we had on we had on Emily Detweiler from the Kansas City Bar. Oh yeah, right? yeah. You know who her uh, her brother yeah, was? Yeah, of course. Yep. Right. And so when we when we got in touch with her, she said, uh, "Oh, great! I'm a baseball mom, and and you know, baseball is such a big part of her family's life." Yeah. So the the two they just go so well together. It's I I agree with you. it's it's the people are great, and it's it's just a nice thing. And our show is very unique. We get Hojo on. What other show has Hojo talking barbecue? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, I, I appreciate it. And uh, the site I like to go to, one of the, one of the guys that, in, when I was down in Lakeland at the Pig Fest, he said, he said this guy named Malcolm Reed. It said, How to Barbecue Right. Yes. That's the name of his site. And so I started watching him. And, of course, he's a big, big, heavy guy. And he's from the South. And. So, you know, he loves his barbecue and I just kind of liked his recipes and what he does with different, different grills. He uses all kinds of grills. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been fun, man. I, I tell you, I love it. And I, I mean, my kids, they say, you know, make, make your ribs, make your pulled pork. You know, I'm good at that too. But so yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. The that's big great. Green egg, the big green egg is a, is a great cause that's a Kamado grill. It's the ceramic. It keeps yeah. the, the moisture in and you're right. The Traeger is a pellet grill. Jeff and I just started cooking on those and uh, we love it. I mean, so, you know, we, every grill has its purpose. And, yeah. Every grill is a little bit different. They have their purpose. You know, one thing I learned with brisket too was if I'm going to make it for like a real special occasion, you know, like maybe a holiday or something, then I'll, I'll go ahead and splurge on a wet on, on American Wagyu. I'll get a, I'll get a nice, nice standard, you know, high standard, you know, meat, Wagyu meat that's got a lot of marbling, so I want that. 
I want that on my grill, you know, if I'm doing a real special thing. So that, that's always nice, nice thing to do. If you want to like, you know, go take another level, you know, I've learned a long time ago, just, just cooking hamburgers that there's different levels of meat, you know, and if you put a good piece of meat on there and cook it, it's, it's different. It's a different taste. And so even if you could take a bad piece of meat and cook it, it might not be the same. So yep. it's okay, you know, to splurge on the quality of the meat, you know, on the front end, and it helps you on the back end. Now, what kind of sauce are you are you making sauce when you make the ribs? Or no, you I, no, I, I no, I just use uh, like Sweet Baby Ray's. I just mm-hmm. use some of that. I've got Rudy's barbecue sauce from Texas. I have some of that. There's a barbecue place in Jacksonville called Cotton's Barbecue. They have the best the best sauce I've ever had. The problem is I'm, I don't live in Jacksonville and my son, if we ever make a trip through there, we pick up a bottle for each other, you know, and it doesn't last as long, we, you know, because everybody wants it. So yeah, Cotton's Barbecue is really, really good sauce. They make good sauce. I'd love to make my own sauce maybe one day. Yeah, I, I tried. We have a, we have a guy, I think we mentioned Ray Sheehan. He wrote a book Yep. and he puts out, Barbecue Buddha is our, okay. his sauces. And I, I tried to make it, and, and it came out okay, but but I think I like his, I, I don't know, there's something I'm missing, but I use yeah. bottled sauce. Blue's Hog is a very good sauce. Okay, I'll sell for that. Yeah, and Head Country also are okay. sauces. There's so many great ones out there, but Sweet Baby Ray's is good. Yeah. yeah. It's, a good, it's a good grocery store one, you know, not too yeah. bad. Yeah, and you can always find it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put that with some bar, some ba- some bushes baked beans on there, and you cook you cook a nice sausage ring with that, and that way you got it all covered, man. That's the oh, best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah do you ask any more baseball questions? I, I do, and I want to just I want to thank Hojo for taking the time. I, it's very generous of you. Just uh, could you give us a couple of highlights of your career? What you were you most proud of? Yeah, sure. Well, the thirty thirties were big. I mean, the world championships are huge. I mean, I can't deny that. You know, a chance to win twice early on in my career was really special. I wish I could have won some more, but we didn't. But, yeah, like the 30-30s, I never set out as a goal for that, especially in the beginning. I think after you do it one time, you know, it's like, okay, I, there's an old saying in baseball, anybody can do it once, you know. Anybody can do that one time. Like you do 30-30, you know, oh, maybe he has one year in there, but, you know, can you do it again? And then it became, can you do it again? And so then you're in rare company when you can do it more than once. Sure. And, and then, of course, the, the home run and RBI title in 91, that was, yeah. that was a big one for me because, you know, that's, that's – and being a switch hitter and being able to do it, that's not happened only the one time that I did it. So that's pretty cool. You know, in the history of the National League, you've only had one switch hitter do that. Yeah. At the, at great highlights. And, you know, Hojo, we really appreciate it. I just want to go down, just want to tell the people that you're in the top 10, you're third and stolen basis with the Mets with 202. You said you were fourth in home run. Still, you know, this is, for, you know, since the 80s. We're in 2020 now. It's still up there. Top, top, you know, top four in RBIs, 629. You're fourth in walks, fourth in run scores, fifth in doubles. It's incredible. And you still loved up here, man. You still are. Well, I appreciate it. I love, love New York too, man. I, I have a lot of friends up there still. And I, I look forward to the days I can go up there. And hopefully when this virus ends, we can be, I can get back to Shea Stadium. I mean, uh, City Field and see everybody. Well, yeah. we, we hope to see you out there. And we really appreciate you taking the time. And, and you know, best, and you're still coaching, right? 
Yeah, I was going to coach last year in Mexico. Uh-huh. So I don't know what this year is going to bring. But yeah, before that, I was with the Rangers organization. Right. Yeah, it's a new chapter right now. All right, well, best of luck to you. We really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, you know, all the best. Oh, My pleasure, guys. Thank so you. Much. Thank you. Jeff, Leonard, I appreciate you guys. are awesome, all right? Thank you. Wow. Oh, I love old Joe. <laughs> he was terrific. He uh, was absolutely terrific. Yeah. Very personable, you know, very friendly. He, you know, I love talking to him. You know, Jeff, somebody told me that because we, when we had Tim Kirchin on, and I, and I mentioned to a friend of mine, I said, you know, we spoke to him and you know, we just, we were in awe that we're speaking to Tim Kirchin. And he said to me, he said, you know what I love about your show is that number one, you guys are fans and you don't hide that fact. And you know what? We don't, we are fans. And Hojo, big part of our Met fandom. He's, he'll always be a Met to us. Yes. And if you'd like to contact the show, give us a call, 516-855-8214. Check us on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue. The barbecue's all spelled out. We have our YouTube page. We have our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. We got to finish the show, and we're going to finish it with the poet and the musician. We've got Dave Dresser, Shel Krakowski with Baseball Always Brings You Home. Bonus episode's over, but we'll see you next time, guys, for episode 81. And that's going to be a big one, too. See ya.